Acts 10, 1 through 17, 34 through 35. At Caesarea, there was, a na- there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared the God with all his household, gave alms great generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw, clear- saw clearly in a vision of an angel of God come and say to him, Cornelius, as he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he, can't, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among the, those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while he was preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descended, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to Simon's house, oh, uh, uh, was inwardly perplexed as what the vision he had seen might mean. Behold the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. The word of God for the people of God. Very powerful, Emily. Thank you. Pray with me, if you would, please. Father God, uh, I decrease that you may increase. I step aside, Lord, that you may have your way. Let no words come out of my mouth except that which is anointed and approved by you. Lord God, prepare our hearts to hear the word. We submit our spirits to you, O God, and we ask that you continue to build us and to make us. And make this word alive in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the sermon this morning is called, Eat the Bacon. But, see, so I'm sensitive like this. But for those urban, vegan, cool folk, those whose sensibilities are too offended by the thought of eating bacon, it could be titled, I Ain't Riding Dirty. For those of you all, what that means for some of you, riding dirty is another terminology for saying, I'm not going to break the law. I'm not going to do anything bad in my car. We call that riding dirty. All right, so now we've covered all of that. 
Unclean has a very simple definition. It's called dirty. Really deep. But here are some other words that are used to define unclean. Filthy, grubby, grimy, mucky, foul, foul, impure, adulterated, tainted, tarnished, stained, soiled, begrimed, smeared, unwashed. Dirty has some synonyms as well. Soiled, grimy, grubby, filthy, mucky, stained, unwashed, greasy, smeared, smeary, spotted, smudged, cloudy, muddy, dusty, and sooty. I think you get the picture. There's nothing that we desire or we desire on us. So at Calvary United Methodist Church, uh, we have leaders, and the most of my leaders are white. So we have some, some, some rules, and here are these rules, and these two rules support a plethora of rules, and they're really simple and deep. One is we do nothing except by the approval of God. The second is we do not operate in white guilt. We just don't do it. So sometimes we'll have someone say, well, but if, and, and then pastor will step up in front of the group and say, yeah, and if. And so then we have a conversation. And that conversation is based upon the situation, the circumstances, our personal histories, our individual histories, our collective histories. But none of that is in guilt. So I'm only asking one thing this morning. Well, maybe two. One is that we will do nothing except by the Spirit of God. And the second is, as we hear these stories and this word, we will not operate in the spirit of guilt. Those are, that's it. I'm pretty simple. Actually, I'm told I'm simple a lot. But anyway, we move on. Uh, when helping someone or a group, we look at everything. We look at our collective histories. We look at all the things that we should do in order to help someone and support their growth. Peter said this, Lord, I've not eaten anything unclean, any unclean animal. Don't expect me to do that. And the question I would have had to Peter is this, Peter, um, have you looked at your heart? Um, has it ever been unclean? What about your foul mouth? I'm talking about Peter now. Or your violence towards man. So while you're sitting on your throne of righteousness, sir, take a look at your heart. These are the significant lessons that are found by the Lord telling Peter to kill and eat. In essence, Peter, eat the bacon. Number one is this. What God says you are, you are. 2 Corinthians 5th chapter, 17th verse says this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. Our past is our past. If you have committed wrong things, they are forgiven. 
Christ died for all men, not just rich men, not just poor men, not just the good, and not just the bad. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says this, for, I, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. All are justified freely by the grace of God through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. If you're getting the general theme, the general theme is, is that we are all sinners and we are all saved in Christ and God holds us all accountable at all times, and therefore we needed Jesus Christ as our Redeemer, all of us. So we're justified by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and through the faith of Jesus. In the repentance of sins, we are saved. But see, we're not only saved, we're engrafted in, into the promises of God, engrafted in into the accountabilities of his people. We are all family, all of us. Our family. Jesus said that I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Not a question. But apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. See, so we are one. We are connected. We are equal. And it is in this state of connectedness and equality that we will bear much fruit in Jesus Christ. I'm going to define you. So I'm going to define you as this. You are holy. You are righteous, meaning you're in right standing with Jesus Christ. If you are feeding from the vine of life. So when you want to operate in a spirit of guilt, that's not where Christ is. When you and me want to operate in a spirit of judgment, that's not where Christ is. We are plugged into the vine. And the Lord says that we're blessed in the city and we're blessed in the country. We're blessed when we come in. We're blessed when we go out. We bless when we stand up. We bless when we sit down. Your animals are blessed. Your cats are blessed. Your dogs are blessed. You're blessed. He didn't say you're blessed because you're six foot two, or you're blessed because you're five foot four, or you're blessed because you're young, or you're blessed because you're old, or you're blessed because you're beautiful. And some of us may be a little less beautiful, but we're blessed too. We are all blessed. And he says that if you are not a part of the vine, then this is what you are fit to do, to wither, to die, and to be burned. Wow. Number two, sometimes it is uncomfortable to be righteous. In the book of Esther, she made a decision, a decision to follow what was right, a decision to follow what God says was the law, his rule, what he needed for to redeem his people. It wasn't popular. It wasn't, certainly wasn't comfortable. And it reads this. It says, and this is Esther 4.16, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. 
And I will attend, and my attendants will fast as I do, and as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, and even though it's against the law, if I perish, I perish. Even though I'm going to see the most powerful man on earth and break his law. And all of his courts and all of the people and all of the different nations that he controls that says, hey, this is the law. God is saying, I need you to go forward and to carry my word and my mission. And I don't know about you, but that would be pretty uncomfortable. Daniel 3.16 and 18 through 18 says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this manner. We don't care what you think. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, Be it known unto you, but you need to understand, O God, that we will not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image that thou hast set up. I'm going to translate that to our time. We are not going to serve hatred. And we are not going to serve division. And we're not going to serve greed. And we're not going to serve theft. And we're not going to serve, serve not loving. We're just not going to do it. O kings of this world. And we won't worship what you worship. But we will worship the true and living God. We will bless the name of the Lord. We will bless God in the country, and we will bless him in the city. We will bless him as we sit. We will bless him as we stand. We will bless him in our car. We will bless him when we get up in the morning. We will bless you, O Lord God Almighty, in the name of Jesus. We don't follow the opinion of man. Jesus said that who we should be afraid of is not the one who can destroy the body, but the one who can destroy both the body and the soul. We serve a mighty, powerful, and awesome God. Therefore, we don't have to conform to this world. Number three, God's setup is always for his glory and our ultimate benefit. What I mean by his setup is there are times when you are set up and it looks like you are set up to fail. And it looks like things aren't going your way. And it looks like it's not fun and it's not fair. And people aren't treating me right. And the expectations are too high. And my mindset is too low. How can I do well? How can I do what you want me to do? You are setting me up so I feel, oh God, to fail. How can you get glory from this? How can you get glory from a boss who's not fair to me? How can you get glory... When my parents aren't fair, how can you get glory when I have debts, but I didn't even ask for the debts? I got ill. How can you say that this is going to glorify you? 
So, Stephen, Acts 7, 54 through 59. I'm going to read this. I'll be sensitive to the time. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They were furious because he talked about their grandparents and their parents' parents and told them that they were liars and they killed the people that God sent. And they were like, wait a minute, you don't know who we are? So now 54 picks it up. And when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said to them, look. He said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed him. They dragged him out out of the city and began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man. His name was Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees. He cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He died. The setup was this. Although Stephen was killed, the gospel spread throughout the world. So sometimes when things aren't necessarily comfortable and they aren't going our way, it doesn't mean that the Lord's hand isn't in it. And there are times when everything is going your way, and it doesn't mean that the Lord's hand isn't in it. It is about where we are. Are we in his will? Are we in his spirit? Are we in his hope? Are are we in his joy? Are we sitting there? So if that's where we are, that is where God will have us. And surely our God has a purpose and a mission for us. And it is for us to walk in that purpose and mission. And sometimes it's a setup. So Stephen died. And you're like, well, where's the benefit in that? (laughs) Here's the benefit, 8, 4, and 6, and this is an Acts. Therefore, they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. And then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles he did. His discomfort and displacement, the discomfort and displacement that came about by Stephen led to the salvation of you and I. God had your best interest in mind. You say, well, someone suffered. Well, Jesus said that you're not greater than me. So certainly, put your hands on the plow and trust me. And for some of us, that means that things are going to be great. But for some of us, that means that things may be difficult. But for all of us, it means that we are operating to the glory of God. So I don't judge you if things aren't going well for you. And I don't judge you if things are going right for you. I praise God for both and for all. Is this making sense, saints? Uh, And and, oh, by the way, at Calvary, (laughs) I laugh, sorry. At Calvary. I just told them, I think I'm going to have to go to the Baptist church. And they were like, what do you mean? 
Because when I talk to them, the Baptists will speak back. But I said, I know you're better than that, so you can do that too. So do you hear me, saints? Yes. Amen. All right, there we go. We're working now. All right, <laughs> All right let me hang up on the Baptists. I, I don't have to talk. All right, so anyway. <laughs> I don't get out of the house often, don't pay attention. <laughs> So Acts 10 to 34, 34 and 35 is this. Then Peter began to speak, and he said this. He said, you know, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. But accepts from Every nation, one who fears him and does right. Yeah, but in that nation, they ride on camels. But except from every nation, the one who fears him and does right. Yeah, but they eat alligators. But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does right. We are Christians. We fear him. And our goal is to do what is right. Sometimes it's easier to follow what the world says. What God has given us rights as individuals. And those rights are to love, to nurture, to respect to be equal, to be true to God and not let greed drive us. See, here's the thing, and then I'll be closing with this, but I, I want you to understand this thing. We keep talking about race. We talk about race. Well, this person is black and this person's white and this person's brown and this person's this and this person's that. And therefore, I'm not comfortable with this and I'm not comfortable with that. And, and then I get someone who comes over from Europe and like, what's your problem? What's this issue, this preoccupation with race? I don't understand. I don't get it. And then we have an au pair uh, who came, a babysitter who came and she's, she's from uh, Colombia and from Brazil, and she says, what's this preoccupation with race? I don't understand. I don't understand. So I'm going to help us with this because you know what? This isn't built on race. This is built on money. So, so as they say in the streets, let me hip you to the game. <laughs> Here's the game. You have rich landowners who did not want to share their wealth. And they understood, looking at history, because I didn't say they were ignorant landowners, looking at history, the poor people got together and took over the stuff from the rich folk. Well, in our country, you had poor black people and poor white people, and there was a whole lot of them, and they, all of them were being exploited and not treated well. And they were beginning to talk and share and say, hey, we can't put up with this. We have to end this. And the landowner said, we better do something. So let's, what, what, how do we divide them? I know. We can tell this group that they're better than that group. Well, what's the big point of differentiation? Well, one is dark. One is light. 
Well, we're not going to say the light people are worse because that's us. So let's talk about the dark ones. Let's say what they aren't, that they're stupid and they're ignorant and don't give them any property and don't give them any land and don't let them vote and don't let, they are no good. And let's start a marketing campaign to tell everybody that this is who they are and this is what they're about. Therefore, they should not be with us. We are better than them. And so the landowner says, hey, this works for us. So we'll give them nothing. We'll give you a little and we'll tell you you're important. But guess what we get? We get all the dough. So this thing is about money. There's a definition that I want you to hear. You'll, you'll hear this, and I want you just to remember it forever and a day. It's called de-skilling. Can you say it with me? De-skilling. De-skilling means, now there are different definitions, but I'm going to give you two. Well, one that I think is most relevant and the human communication one that I think is most relevant. So from a business definition, it is to decrease the quality and range of practical knowledge of individuals, organizations, or societies due to attrition, automation, computerization, downsizing, lack of learning opportunities, or neglect. So we want to de-skill that group. From a human communication standpoint, it is to attack the value and self-worth of a group or an individual to erode their perceived worth and value to the greater society. And that is what Nazi Germany did. Now, we are Christians, and we are bigger than that, and we are better than that, and we are more powerful than that. And we will trust God in all in which he has given us. To close, I want you to be aware of this. Revelations 12, 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, Satan, who deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Be aware of this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood and principalities and powers, but powers and rules of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. Well, what spirit are they following if they're not following the spirit of God? Be aware of this. That God is willing to give us knowledge and wisdom from his word and his spirit. And then that is what we should continue on in And one last thing, when you say, oh, I slipped again. Remember we talked about Peter way back when with the kill and eat, eat the bacon? Remember that guy? Well, later on, Peter slipped up again when the Jews came and the Gentiles, he was teaching and eating with the Gentiles every day. And all of a sudden, when when his homeboys came, he stepped away from the Gentiles and Paul came and corrected him and let him know that he was being prejudiced and prejudicial. Lord, let that not be us. Let us pray for a close. Lord God, I pray as you have taught us from your word and as you have fed us, we pray that this stays with us and that we would be strong and wise and powerful in you, trusting you in all things and loving you above all and loving each other. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for salvation. And in all things we pray. Amen.
Amen.